Hello and welcome to the Roots and Foundations podcast. I'm Jeremy Manuel. And I'm Nicole Carlin. And today we are looking at the book of Joel, which is a minor prophet, and it's a very minor, minor prophet in the sense that it's a very small book. It's only three chapters, but that doesn't necessarily mean that what is in the book is unimportant. It's, in fact, the big focus of the book of Joel is on this kind of event of the day of the Lord. But before we get to that, we don't really know when Joel is written. There's arguments on both sides that say that he's written early while the kingdoms are still kind of intact before getting taken off into exile by Assyria and Babylon. But then there are also people who say that, no, this was written more after the exiles in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. And really, we aren't told in the book, so it's really hard to know where this is. And yeah, trying to figure that out is, is almost kind of impossible when we're not really told exactly what reigns and what kings the prophet were um, preaching and prophesying during. But he does seem to have this really either extensive knowledge of other prophetic writings. So he's either a student of other prophetic writings or God is really inspiring him with similar messages from the likes of Malachi and Obadiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, Nahum, Isaiah, Amos. You hear echoes and uh, repetitions of these other prophetic writings. So he he definitely is inspired to look at these other prophetic writings or to hear sort of the similar message from the Spirit of the Lord in, in what he's saying in this, this little book, this little three-chapter book. So he starts out in chapter one, and he's talking about a day of the Lord. And this is an interesting thing that as Joel goes uh, through his three chapters, he talks about past events where God saved his people and confronted evil as a day of the Lord. And so there's sort of this idea that an example of the day of the Lord would be when he brought his people out of Egypt. That was a day of the Lord where he acted with great power and, uh, you know, stretched out his arm and saved his people and defeated evil in, in that moment. But there's also, as we go through Joel, this implication of a future day of the Lord, which is going to be a lot more cosmic. It's an event likely the one that's referred to in Revelation and in Matthew chapter 25 by Christ as sort of the ultimate resolution of issues where God will rescue his people, restore creation, ultimately and finally defeat evil and bring about his reign in the way he intended. So in chapter one, we start off with basically a locust swarm, Mm -hmm. a description of them coming. It's a reminiscent of the plagues of Egypt in Exodus chapter 10. And Joel, in essence, calls on the people to repent. And then he cries out in repentance himself in in sort of a brief, to you, O Lord, I call out. So he sort of joins in in this idea that the coming of the locust swarm is God responding to Israel's unfaithfulness. Now, what's intriguing is Joel does not list Israel's sin. Um, the implications are, y- you know what you've done, and it's been bad, and here comes <laughs> judgment. And that leads us to then chapter two. Yeah, the first chapter is believed to be kind of a past one that's going ongoing kind of while Joel or like kind of was a previous event of Joel's life, because he's there also calling out. But this one that's mentioned beginning of chapter two believes to be a future one, not the ultimate day of the Lord, but another time where instead of locusts, there's this kind of almost like this locust swarm of like an army and (laughs) that take over and and are kind of this disaster for Jerusalem. And now what that exactly means depends on where you 
date the book? You know, is it this idea of the Babylonians coming and defeating Jerusalem and taking them off to exile? Or is it some other battle that's set after they've already been returned from exile? Because really, there's all kinds of things that go on even after then. So it, it, it depends on where you put it. But it's this idea that Jerusalem is going to be in danger from this swarm, not of not of locusts, but of an army. And this idea that it's, you know, this dreadful event and that there's this kind of idea of needing to call for repentance among the people. And to, you know, just like Joel did in that chapter one, there's this idea of, you know, needing to ask to be spared to repent to God and to kind of change their ways to actually... Well, and it ties into some of these previous images that we've seen about this idea of the Mm hard-heartedness. And he uses the phrase, rend your hearts, not your garments, in uh, verse 13a. And that ties back into this idea that people have these hearts of stone, and they they need something, their hearts need to be transformed. And he's speaking to this idea that don't just repent on the outside, truly repent. The second part of that verse is the idea that God is... Compassionate and gracious. And that's a reference from Exodus. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea that, you know, God's grace is greater than, you know, his, his judgment. Like he wants, yeah, and it's that like idea of, it's discipline, really. Like it's trying to get people to do the right things. It's like kids, you know, like sometimes, even though you don't want to, they have to get in trouble because they need to learn to do the right thing. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what this is on a, on a larger scale where you're dealing with nations and whole groups of people that, that it's um, a bigger kind of deal. Well, and it, it's interesting because I think this begets a question for us to apply to today, which is sometimes people will want to assign uh, disasters and events and sort of say, this is the judgment of the Lord and say, this is what God is judging. And it's a little bit different because he's really speaking specifically to his people. Mm-hmm. And at this moment in time, his people are also a nation state. But with the coming of Christ, that changes. Mm-hmm. And no longer are God's people a specific nation state or a race, but they are scattered through every nation and every people group. And so it becomes a lot less clear how God's judgment works out through historical events and natural disasters than it was for the Israelites. For the Israelites, they were given a task, they made a covenant with God, they were to obey a certain set of requirements so that they would look distinctive from their neighbors, and in doing so, draw other people to the Lord. And then, so when God was disciplining Israel, he sent the prophets, the prophets specifically identified this calamity that is coming as the result of these sins. While Joel doesn't list them, all the other prophetic books do, sins of injustice, immorality, and idolatry. So then God punishes Israel in, in an effort to remind them of what they have covenanted to do and to bring them back. In today's world, there is no nation state that represents God's people. There is no race or people, but rather the church is throughout, seated throughout the world. And it's a lot harder to sort of, it, we would be very cautious to say this event is God's judgment for this specific sin or behavior because how, how would you know? Yeah. So it's just an interesting thing just to be aware of that when you hear people wanting to make those prophetic type statements about certain countries in today's world, recognizing that the, the moment in time that these prophetic writings happened 
was during that kind of covenant wrestling that went on between the nation state of Israel and God before the coming of Christ. And to connect to that, I mean, the idea that it's a thing I read this past week or so, that it's really interesting that the prophets are even in the Old Testament because the prophets are all self-critiques. They are all critiques of Israel and, you know, the, in Judah as, you know, in the divided kingdom time. Like, they're all saying, we've messed things up. Like, we have done the wrong things and we have deserved the things that have happened to us that aren't savory. The fact that those make it into what is considered the holy scriptures of the Jewish people is really kind of fascinating. Imagine being critiqued to the level of Israel and yet including all of that in your life story and, and, and owning that to that degree. And I think that's kind of what we lose sometimes today. Like if there are prophets today, they aren't critiquing the culture or if they are, they are not to the degree that they're critiquing the church itself, like that, that we are critiquing ourselves, not that it's just wagging the finger towards those outside of the church, which I think is what we do most of the time and, and let so many things slide in the church because, well, you know, who cares about pride or greed or anything like that that goes on inside the church? We just care about all the things that have changed outside that may or may not necessarily even be. Yeah, you know, it tends to be kind of directed at the sinners out there and their sin is resulting yeah. in this calamity as opposed to saying, where have we fallen short? Where have we been unfaithful to the things that we have agreed to do? Are yeah. we rending our hearts before, are we, you know, repenting for our mm-hmm. sins um, inside sort of the boundaries of the, the church as opposed to look at all those sinners out there? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's much more of something that if there were prophets or, you know, I'm assuming there are prophets today, that, that it's most like it's not people who speak outside of the church mostly. It's mostly people who would speak inside the church to, you know, trying to re- regenerate and bring the church to actually look like Christ and, and what we were supposed to be doing. Yeah. So it's just kind of a, a, a way that I think we've kind of lost, like, because we've so focused on prophets as future telling and not actually, like, bringing people to actually follow what they've agreed to follow and believe in in the first place right. that we've, we've we've changed it from oh well we need to like look for oh well this is because of this and then the middle east well there's going to be this big battle and like that's what prophets are for and it's like well no that's not really the main goal of prophets it was more like you guys are going to sin and because you're sinning god's going to deal with you like that's more of like what the future events we're dealing with not so much well i'm just going to randomly tell you what's going to happen in the future right it's going to be a lot more of holding us accountable. Yeah. And so, and that accountability is the idea that God does, he is gracious, he is compassionate. And so that leads us to the second part of chapter two in Joel, where we see God's response to the people repenting. And 2.18 says, so God was filled with passion for his land and pity on his people. And that leads to a response where he defeats the invaders, he restores the devastated land, and he dwells once again with his people. Yeah. Um, and then the the way the Bible Project sort of arranges it is to sort of say, with this response, there is this idea that this future event talked about in chapter two becomes a description of the ultimate future day of the Lord, the ultimate restoration of all things described in the tail end of chapter two and then chapter three. Yeah. And I'm not really sure. I mean, we've got like printouts of the the way that they do their videos, kind of their final picture. And they put this idea that God's spirit will fill all people kind of in the bottom right corner. And that's always kind of bugged me because 
you know, like that's kind of a reference to the future. And we, we see that fulfillment. We are living in that fulfillment with Pentecost. It's not kind of the final thing that happens. Mm-hmm. It's more of the first thing that happens. It's it's part of the the end, the final day of the Lord, but it's something that we're kind of in that weird in-between. It's The, the Spirit has come, mm-hmm. but it maybe hasn't come with the complete fullness that, you know, we, we still struggle with sin. We still are imperfect. We still need God's grace and, mm-hmm. and forgiveness daily, you know, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So there is that element that is not complete, but I think that comes before, yeah. you know, and which, I, and it does even in Joel. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's this idea of them wanting to sort of create an, an organized visual yeah. on their sheet. And so they kind of shuffle things around a little bit so that the categories line up from yeah. right to left. But there, I think that, um, that Joel passage in Joel chapter 2, 28 through 32 about, um, that, you know, he will pour out his spirit on sons and daughters and the young men will dream dreams and the old men will have visions. That, you know, is very clearly understood to have been at least initially fulfilled at yeah, Pentecost. It's quoted in Acts right after Pentecost. So, and it's probably, if you're looking for like the most known part of a, of a prophetic book, that's probably Joel's. Yes. Like that, that, that's probably like if you've heard a part of Joel and you've not read through it and are somewhat unfamiliar, that's probably the section that you're going to be like, oh, I think I've heard that before. Yes. And that's because it's in Acts quoted pretty much verbatim right after Pentecost and whenever they start speaking in tongues and to help explain what is going, what's going on. on. Yes. And so and that and and again there what they want to do is sort of help walk us through the events that are described and this idea that in the future day of the Lord, mm-hmm. the ultimate day of the Lord, God will confront evil among all the nations and that he will renew all creation. Yep. Is sort of the kind of the summary or where they bring it together at the end there. And that uh, you know, and I agree with Jeremy that the image of God's spirit being poured out on his people really doesn't – it's not something that we're waiting to see happen. It's something that has started and I think will bloom into greater fullness mm-hmm. with the ultimate coming of the Lord because obviously, again, sin does continue to mar and muddy things. But, yeah, there's definitely this ultimate – because we are waiting. All of creation hasn't been renewed. All evil hasn't been defeated. And Jesus himself says, I will return. So we know that – Joel doesn't know that. Joel doesn't yeah. know of the coming of Christ. He doesn't know of the coming of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have the details. He just has these prophetic images of a promise. And that's what we'll see kind of time and time again through these prophetic books is the prophets are given a vision. They're given a, a word to encourage the people now and to give them hope for the future. And I think this idea like that we see this renewal of creation, I mean, like this isn't, I mean, all of these things aren't just Joel, like we've kind of, like, if you've been listening to the all the prophets before this, the idea that God will confront evil, that God will, there will be a new creation, a new Eden, a new temple, a new, you know, new, 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 this kind of idea of God coming and making things new. And this idea of hearts of flesh and, and being turned, you know, from our hearts of stone into that heart of flesh or, you know, the spirit coming and things like that, that are just repeated and I don't know that there's been too many that that hasn't been a a major a major theme and and so it's just that like it's almost like oh come on guys you're just saying the same things over and over again yeah. like and and there is somewhat of that if you're reading through them it's just like man didn't we just talk about the same things and that's just it like it it, it is the same thing but it's just that continual I mean with the prophets they're doing it during different ages under different kings and and we all need those messages of 
both kind of holding our feet to the fire and in, in ultimate hope and encouragement so that, mm-hmm. that, that we don't forget, that we don't lose hope, that we don't just say, well, we can do whatever we want and it's not really going to matter in the end. The prophets are kind of continually saying, no, it, it does matter. It matters to God. God is just. He wants his people to be ones who take care of everyone, the needy and the rich, the, you know, the, that they are both given justice, that they are both treated well, that there's not favoritism to one or the other. Like you see these kind of continual things. And we know terms of power, like it's usually the the ones who don't have that wind up getting the getting the shaft a little bit. But it's just that continual idea that we need to be reminded of these things, that we need to be reminded that what we do matters and that there will be an end to suffering, that evil will be taken care of by God and that things will be renewed, that things will kind of go back to the way they were meant to be in the beginning, which is why we see these pictures of a new Eden and the gardens and things like that that continue to show up in many of the prophets. And and the next book we'll be looking at is Amos. Mm-hmm. And Amos moves back into much more specific identification of Israel's sin, things that are displeasing to God, and how God's going to respond. Whereas Joel has been a lot more sort of overview yeah. and a little less specific. We're going to get more specific again. Yeah, which you'll see also Amos is, I think, like 11, 11 chapters, like some, 11. somewhere in that area, like 11, 12 or whatever. But yeah, so it's a little bit longer as well, which you'll kind of get with that more specific specific of actually calling some things out. And so, yeah, so that is the book of Joel and his focus on the the day of the Lord and, and what that all means. And we'll see you next week with Amos.